Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Pediapod for August 2020. This month we're exploring interventions for physician wellness programs. Physician wellness has been brought into the spotlight during the COVID-19 pandemic, since paediatricians, like many other professionals, are going to have to work through this uncertain situation for the foreseeable future. But prior to the pandemic, institutions and healthcare systems had already started to introduce wellness initiatives following the growing realisation of the widespread problem of physician distress and burnout. The Institute for Healthcare Improvement's Triple AIM framework, which includes patient experience, population health and cost, has grown to a quadruple aim to incorporate the well-being of the patient care team. Physician wellness has become an important metric. Whilst these programmes might be effective, there's currently a lack of evidence about who uses them and whether they're best suited to their target audience. In this episode, we meet Dr Andrea Weintraub from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Following her own personal experience of compassion fatigue, she conducted a cross-sectional national survey against different paediatric subspecialties to find out which initiatives were available, whether people knew about them or used them, and to better understand what paediatricians wished was available. Here's Andrea. My particular subspecialty is neonatology. There was a period about eight or nine years ago where my work experiences had been very intense for a while, and I was having a casual conversation with a friend of mine who's in pediatric palliative care, and I was expressing some of the distress that I was feeling in part because of working so hard and some difficult patient experiences that I had. And I felt it was a very isolating time. And, you know, in speaking about it, he said to me, you know, there's a name for this. And I said, really? And he said, it's called compassion fatigue. And I had never heard about what this was. And I felt sort of wow, if there's a name for this, then I can figure out what it is and maybe I can figure out what I can do to make myself feel better. And then the logical next step was, oh, but if I'm feeling this, maybe other people are feeling this too. And then burnout is something I think a lot of people have familiarity with because it's not specific to medicine. It's really occupational distress that's related to, I'm supposed to do these tasks. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. Or I'm working so hard, so constantly without a breather that suddenly I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm no longer taking pleasure in my personal achievement. I don't feel like I can meet my goals. And then there's the third phenomenon, which is somewhat unique to what they call the helper professions, which is compassion satisfaction, which is 
what you get back emotionally by providing care to others. And the theory is, is that that, if in sufficient quantities, offsets the downside of both compassion fatigue and burnout. As you said, from your personal experience, you hadn't kind of come across the name, but your colleague had. And institutions and healthcare services are waking up to these issues, aren't they? Yes, definitely. Individuals are becoming increasingly aware with the advent of many physician suicides that people suffer in silence. And there is a stigma in medicine about seeking help. This perception that we're not supposed to feel these things somehow is isolating and alienating. And I think it has come to the forefront that we need to look after our caregivers because if we don't care for our caregivers, our caregivers can't give care. Obviously, looking after the wellness of your employees is the right thing to do. But as we know, healthcare systems across the world always seem to be cash strapped. Is there a sort of a monetary incentive for institutions and healthcare services to implement these initiatives? Definitely. It is significantly less expensive, on the order of millions of dollars less expensive, to provide on-site wellness programming than it is to lose physicians to burnout. And if you multiply that by the number of physicians you would lose, it certainly makes sense to figure out what do the physicians in my healthcare system need and what can I put in place to prevent things from getting to that point. And that's precisely what we're here to talk about. Um, <laughs> and this topic makes a bit of a change for Pediapod because this is essentially a qualitative assessment of what physicians know is out there in terms of help, what they actually use and what they would desire that isn't currently available to them. Correct. We said, well, we have this database that we've used for previous projects to look at compassion fatigue and burnout in the various pediatric subspecialists. What if we went back and surveyed these people again? and said, so what does your institution provide? Do you know what they have? Do you use it? If you use it, what do you use? If you don't use it, why don't you use it? And if you could sit and de novo make a program, what would you want? And people answered. Part of your analysis was about people's self-care practices. Could you tell us what you mean by that? And then what was it about the physicians that you were interested in when you were asking these questions? So things like, exercise in whatever form, spiritual practice in whatever form, holistic practices like yoga or meditation, socializing with family, friends, engaging in creative arts, talking with whoever about work-related distress, seeking mental health care, alternatively engaging in what one might consider as negative habits, excessive alcohol consumption or recreational drug use or things that seem less productive. And then are the activities that you choose to do as self-care related somehow to the subspecialty that you practice or the gender you identify with or how you might self-sort your major personality characteristics? Because if we know those things, then perhaps someone sitting on the wellness committee can say, well, we know that in general, neonatologists and critical care doctors do this, or men typically don't do this, or you know, extroverts are going to want this, but what do we do for the introverts? So it seemed like it would allow people who are making the decisions to make some informed choices about what people might actually want to participate with in the workplace. 
Did you find any significant looking patterns? Were men different to women or were the subspecialties different from one another? Yes. In terms of considering by subspecialty, I think the most striking thing is neonatologists were the least likely to talk about work-related distress, to socialize, to use mental health resources, or to engage in creative arts, which as a neonatologist, I find a little bit alarming. Um, There weren't any significant associations for the other subspecialties that were quite so front and center. When we thought about it by gender, not surprisingly, women were more likely to use social connections and holistic type practices for self-care, which just given what we know about men and women and how the communication styles and relatedness are different is not surprising, whereas men were more likely to go exercise or go do something as opposed to care and share. And then when we considered it by personality trait, those who'd self-designated as extroverts were more likely to exercise or socialize. Those who designated themselves as openness were more likely to engage in creative arts and individuals who self-identified as neurotic were more likely to engage in the negative behaviors and were also more likely to seek mental health care as a self-care measure. Of course, physicians aren't expected to completely look after their own wellness through these self-care measures and institutions and healthcare services have implemented wellness services. And you looked at that as well, didn't you, about what was available and what people were aware of. What did you find? We presented the responders with a list of the commonly available wellness initiatives. And those included things like scheduled debrief sessions, Schwartz rounds, pet therapy, team building events, on-site holistic things like mindfulness, etc. And what we found is that many people, up to 16%, had no idea what their institution offered. Of the things that existed, about 60% of our respondents said, we take advantage of the opportunities that are provided. So there was some lack of awareness, but there was also a more significant lack of uptake. People just weren't using these services. So the lack of awareness can't explain all of that, can it? No, it doesn't. And we asked, what are your barriers? And the most commonly cited barriers were convenience slash inconvenience of the scheduling of the events, time constraints, and also this dual mindset of, I'd rather handle this on my own, and I don't think this will help. Right, so you looked at some of the barriers to the uptake of some of these initiatives, and you also asked, what would you like available to you that currently isn't? Were there any kind of patterns there about gaps in what's available? The majority of people articulated very strongly wanting greater social and emotional support. And it seemed as though even if there were opportunities for debriefing or critical incident management, it wasn't enough. If there were opportunities to create greater connections with patients, people wanted that. If there was a greater opportunity to connect more deeply and feel supported by leadership and peers, that's what people wanted. And so at the end of the day, you say, well, my institution already has all of these things and some of this is social and emotional support. But then when I ask you, what do you want? And you say, I want social and emotional support, then maybe whatever the form they're currently receiving, it just doesn't feel like enough or it doesn't feel like enough in the right kind of way. And so do you think that those institutional initiatives are more important or the onus is more on them than it is on physicians themselves to employ these self-care practices? 
it's important for every human being to do self-care. But I think that the onus is really on institutions to be able to provide that additional layer of self-care that you as a physician need to feel grounded and supported in your role as a physician. Once you're broken, it's really hard to seek out help. And with this stigma that still hasn't entirely gone away, the onus really can't be on the suffering physician to figure out, well, gee, I, I think I need help. What help do I need? How do I find help here? Am I going to be able to get help? What's my boss going to think if I ask? For that? that has to go. And I suppose what you're also saying is that any institutions who you know see your research and think, right, we need to implement these wellness initiatives because they're really, really important. They should not just rush ahead and do that from the top down. Absolutely. So if you don't listen and ask questions before you start implementing things, I think the chances of what you're trying to do are going to be much less successful because it's pretty clear that if you ask people, they will tell you exactly what they want. And maybe it's not all practical. I mean, we got some responses that were, you know, we need more concierge type services at work because we need more help with childcare or like chores that we can't get done. And maybe an institution can help with that and maybe it can't. So, so what are your practical suggestions, if you like? It sounds like someone should go into each institution and do something similar to what you've done in terms of qualitative sampling and, and then act on that. Sort of. I mean, I don't think it has to be our survey, but I think that in general, as each institution decides we need a chief wellness officer and we need to address these issues, I think one of the first steps is to send out a needs assessment to the group at large. And it may need to be a different needs assessment for faculty versus trainees versus medical students, because everybody has needs and the needs may be different. But I think that's the place to start. And then you have to try and deliver as best you can. That was Dr. Andrea Weintraub from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And that's it for this episode. Please do join us in a month for the next installation of Pediapod. I've been Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gays wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 